0: Would you please turn with me to the 34th Psalm? If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to take one of the black Bibles in front of you. And if you don't own one, we'd love for you to take one of ours and make it your own. Put your name in it and and use it. I wonder how you would describe the good life. Are you living the good life? Would it include all your family members or maybe exclude them? What is it that you lack in life right now to say, ah, there it is, I'm living? The good life? Would would you need a better climate? A different house? A vacation? A cabin to visit regularly? How old do you need to be? Or how old do you have to live to say, I have lived the good life? Is marriage necessary? How about having children? what kind of job, and what level of fulfillment is required for you to say, an income to say, I've had and I've lived the good life. Three years ago in August, August of 2020, the 23rd, I preached on this psalm before I started a psalm series, psalm, the psalm series that I'm in now. And during that, I'm just curious, is there anybody that remembers when I preached on Psalm 34 in 2020, just three years ago? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, there's a few dotted throughout the, the congregation. I went back this week and listened to the sermon that I preached. That's always a humbling thing to listen to yourself. And I studied this passage And though I want to bring a lot of things that are familiar, if you remember that sermon three years ago, the truth in that sermon, the truth of this psalm is so good. Anything that would be lacking is in my presentation, not the truth of this psalm. And so in in remembrance of that, like Philippians 3.1, to write or to speak the same things to you is no trouble to me and is... Safe for you is what Paul said in Philippians 3. So Psalm 34 is an invitation to the good life. Friends, I want to say this to my my family. I want to say this to my, my literal kids that are in this room. I invite you. I invite you with all my being. I invite you with this word. I invite you by the Holy Spirit. I invite all of you to What the Bible actually describes is the truly good life. I hope you see it. And David invites us to it in this psalm of thanksgiving and worship. This psalm will mention fears and troubles and afflictions and the wicked. And it's written in a pretty rotten time in his life to some degree, a very horrible situation that he's experienced. He has had his father-in-law try to kill him. I don't know if anybody had that happen to you. He's had his wife, well, he's had many issues with wife or wives. He has had situations where his mentor is going to be off the scene, Samuel. He's lost his best friend. He has gone from place to place, and yet he's going to write this song probably in a cave. As he's escaping another enemy, and he talks about the good life, and he says, oh, taste and see the good life. The Lord is good. I made a challenge to you three years ago. I said to anybody, if you memorize this psalm, Psalm 34, put it and say it to me, I said I'd give you one of two books, Knowing God by J.I. Packer or The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. Anybody memorize it in the last couple years? John Mercier, who is sick today, did, but he has not said it to me. And so, John, if you're watching, I'd love for you to say it to me. You can freshen up on that. In this psalm, I want to divide the psalm into five divisions, and we'll just kind of work through the psalm. I hope I'll go quick, and I pray that just, I pray that The Holy Spirit will point you to these truths in Christ Jesus and your heart will go, yes, I believe that. Yes, I need that. Oh, I want this relationship. I I need this goodness that the psalmists rejoice in. We're going to look at, we're going to see the invitation to the good life. The testimony of the good life, the secret of the good life, the practice of the good life, and the foundation of this good life. This psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. He, He gives thanks to God. It's a song of wisdom. He gives instruction to the church, to God's people. It invites, it gives, it gives testimony, it instructs, it reminds us of things and it's as I've already said, it's a song that was written in the night. Look at the, look at the top of the psalm. My version of the Bible says, and probably most of them says something like this: "Of David, see that of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech." Most believe that might be just or a for, another name for Achish that we're going to see in First Samuel twenty-one. So that he drove out and he went away. And he went away. So David had wrote this when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. So Abimelech drove him away and he went away. Now what is that talking about? There was a time in the life of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 21 at the end of the chapter. That David is on the run again from his father-in-law Saul the king who wants to kill David. And another narrow escape. And David runs to the city of Gath. And if you don't know where Gath is, Gath is a Philistine stronghold. It is the enemy territory. He has gone to the heart of the enemies. And he goes there, and and they see him, and they recognize him. And some of the king's men say to the king of Achish, Is that not David, the king of... Is that not David, the king of the land? did they not sing about him, how he, Saul, has killed his thousands, but David, ten thousands, and they killed our men, our Philistines? And it says that David, listening to them, he overheard this. He took these words to heart. He was much afraid of the king of Gath, so he changed his behavior. You, You might think, so he got on his knees, he cried out to the Lord, claimed that God was going to provide for him, and God provided for him. He might have prayed, and in fact, I think he probably did pray, but this is what he actually, it says he did. He changed his behavior before them, and he pretended to be insane in their hands. He made marks on the door of the gate. He let his spittle run down into his beard. What's he doing? He's feigning like he's insane. Kind of playing possum. So the kings would not see David as a threat. And so the king goes, Behold, you see the man is mad or insane. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought him to me and behaved like a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David must have fleed after that and escaped death. And he comes to a cave. I think he writes this psalm. He reflects in maybe his embarrassment by his idiotic way, or maybe the sense in which God just gave him the mindset to do that. that Maybe that was God's way of escaping, I don't know. But he knows that he's not dead by the king of Gath. He's not dead by Saul, of which he was very fearful of, He's alive and rescued, and he knows God has done it, and his heart is livened now by God's grace. This psalm talks about the good life in the midst of horrible situations. What is the good life? Friends, I want to say this. The good life is found, as we'll see in the psalm, in a relationship with God that is not absent from trial and fears. You will experience trials and fears in your life, but instead is made richer because of these experiences. Because God is good, and in the midst of those, He allows you to taste His goodness through Jesus Christ. The good life is found in the joy of not Not living paralyzed by the fears of circumstances, but fearing the Lord. It is found in the abundance of supply that God in Christ gives to men and women, teenagers who have learned the happiness of the fear of the Lord. The fears that we face are only calmed by a greater fear. The joy of fearing God. And this psalm triumphs in it. We're going to sing it at the end of the service. We're going to sing Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me just point you these five points. Number one, the invitation to the good life. Do you see what David's doing? I love this psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. That, do, you, do you hear David inviting the humble, the poor, the needy? He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us let us exalt His name together." He gives an invitation to his fellow band of brothers, probably that were in the cave. If you were reading 1 Samuel chapter twenty-two, but to Israel and to us the church he says i invite you to the good life that good life is found in giving praise he says i will at all times make praise to god with my mouth and with my life i will boast i will exalt not in myself not in my ingenuity or my strength or in someone else i will boast in the lord my god he is my god And he invites us all to hear. And he says, let the humble hear. Let the humble hear this truth, this invitation. And when they really experience this relationship, there's a gladness that wells up in their heart that the world could not capture. But this is for the humble, he says. Let the humble hear. Let those who are lowly, those who have been shamed maybe by their own sins but have come and repented, those that are in trouble, and he invites us to the good life. And the rest of this psalm is a psalm that points us to this good God and the life that's in this God. It prods us and says, please go there. It instructs us and guides us. It calls us to a life of praise. And what I'm going to say, a life of fearing God, the good life. This is not a call to a few chosen super Christians. This is a call to all Christians. This is a call to you, Faith Church. This is, call, this is a call to you from the front rows to the very back, to the young teenagers and children below teenage, to those senior citizens who are in your last year's. It is a call to magnify the Lord with your life. This is for you if you're full of fears. If I asked you to raise your hand, are you fearful this week? My guess is a lot of you would say I am. And I guess, and I would say there's probably a lot of you that would maybe not know that you are, but you're acting out of fear. This psalm in invitation is for those who are full of troubles. I wonder what trouble you have what pain you're experiencing. It could be a physical health or a marriage problem or a relationship disturbance or just, you're just, you're wrecked by an addiction that's secret and tearing you apart. This is a psalm for the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. These are all words that the psalmist use and for the afflicted. And Do you want to know how the psalm describes you that enjoy the good life? Humble, delivered. You need something to be delivered from. Radiant and poor and saved and God fearing and happy or blessed or saints or satisfied or children or righteous or kept by God or redeemed, uncondemned. Because the psalm is going to say to us the righteous are those who have fellowship with God through the t- terms of God's covenant for sinners. This psalm is not for those that are, have everything put together, but to those that have come to a God that puts us together again and makes promises and forgives us and rescues us by the mercy of God in His covenant. Uh, though we're not going to look phrase by phrase through all this psalm, can I just plead with you to the God? to welcome to the good life by taking Psalm 34 and knowing the God of Psalm 34. Would you know the Psalm 34? Would you meditate on it? Would you make it your prayer this year? Among all your Bible reading, among all that goes on, I would encourage you to make this. It is a life investment that is well worth it. So the, the psalmist says, welcome to the good life. And then he says, can I, can I tell you about it? Have you ever invited somebody to something and said, but let me tell you first why I'm inviting you to it because I've experienced it personally. I have a testimony. Look at verses four through seven. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant And their faces will not be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David, do you see what David's doing? He's saying, I was in affliction, I was in crisis. I was near death, and I was really afraid, and the Lord heard me, and he helped me. Can you say that in your life? I know you. there are many in this room, because I've, I've talked with you. I've talked to people in hospital rooms. I've talked to people on the phone. I've experienced, even talking this week, some going through kidney dialysis, in pain and near death, time and time again. And experiencing the good life because they have a confidence and a peace that their nurses have no idea they could, how could that happen apart from divine intervention? I have experienced the good life in some of you recovering from cancer, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a husband or a wife, the loss of a marriage, the loss and difficulties that you've experienced. And I praise God for the testimony that you would say is, I saw the Lord, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me. Here's David's testimony. And David wants to say, take my word for it. Hear what I have to say. I was so scared, and he heard me when I was helpless. Faith Church, you have a God who hears you when you're helpless. You have a God who will hear you when you're afraid. Take your fears to Him. And don't think that the greatest cross that you're bearing at that moment is what you're actually afraid of. It's the fear itself that's part of the horror and the cross that He calls and will help you bear. And you say, even my fear, O God, I take to you. If you take this fear away, I thank you. If you don't, I still give to you and I cry to you and the psalmist cries out to God in several years ago I preached a sermon series on the life of David and we went through first Samuel in one of the chapters in first Samuel 19 it's like you read story after story of David getting delivered and then back into a bad place again a delivered and get back into a bad place I just wonder for you as you think about your life some of you go I haven't lived that long but for some of you go, yeah, I can think about it. I went into this bad situation. Okay, God delivered me if I, I believe that he works all things. And then I experienced this again. And then, and then he delivered me again. And some of you might say, well, I saw him answer prayer. And some would say, I didn't really even pray. But God was still merciful to me. And, and most of you would say, he delivered me in certain situations through somebody helping me out, and he delivered me through other situations when I realized it's not going to be as bad as I thought, and he got helped me get my mind together, and he brought peace again, and I grew from it, and I actually learned to depend on him like I never have before. In Psalm in, in one nineteen, in First Samuel nineteen, David shows us his deliverances, and that they're very varied and they're temporary because. We get delivered, and then we go through troubles again. And we get delivered, and we go through troubles again. And yet they're purposeful. God is working all these things for our good. And the psalmist, in the midst of this, says, the good life is not absent from troubles, but it embraces a God who is in those troubles, working, delivering, listening, near, helpful, And as we grow to know this God, we experience him in such a way that we say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I want this God. I have the good life. It's in God. And in this psalm, the psalmist says, those who look to him are radiant. And it introduces this concept of the fear of the Lord. He says, They fear the Lord. In camps, the angel of the Lord it camps surrounds those who fear him. And we're going to see that in here in a minute. But let me just move you to the third point. And it's the secret of the good life. Maybe It's maybe the focal point of this psalm as we get to verse 8. It's a very familiar phrase. The secret of the good life, verse 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, Oh fear the Lord, you as saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The lions, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We're gonna sing that in just a few minutes. David is gonna to say to us, and I say to you, Faith Church, experience him for yourself. Taste and see that he is good. My children, taste and see that he is good. Seniors, taste and see that he is good. If you're a non Christian here, I want you to, I pray that you'll taste and see his true goodness. And this psalm is one bit of it as he shares his testimony, welcoming us to this good life. And he says, It is found in experiencing a God firsthand who answers prayer, who cares for his own who brings provision when we're in need who answers us in distress and he says that's the type of god that is so good that you learn to fear but not fear in the way we normally use fear the fear of the lord is not a person is not the fear of a person that is terrified for them, terrified by them, or worried that at the, any moment they might swing and hit us and then we' we'll perish. But it is full of respect and awe and love and devotion to God. It is an earnest love relationship, a desire, and an all-consuming drive. To please the Lord above all else and to avoid disobeying, disobeying or displeasing God. The fear of the Lord takes God into account in all things. If you fear the Lord this week, you go to work going, well, what does God think? Does He was watching. How, how did I do in my interaction with my disobedient children or with my irritating parents or my boss or my coworker, or those in my church, God, what are you okay with? The God you are watching, because you're all that matters. Oh, you love me. You're all that I care about. Ultimately, pleasing the fear of the Lord is a trust in the Lord. It's it's a type of trust that says when I'm in trouble, I go to Him for refuge. Fear of the Lord is obedience to God. It's devotion to God when it even costs and hurts me to obey. And all of it's rooted in a relationship. Not some cold transaction between a deity and a worshiper that says, I want something and I want to get to heaven ultimately. But like a father to children... A dear father to children. A dear close relationship. The psalm says the good life, the heart of this good life, is the joy of fearing God in this relationship. And as you fear God, you taste and see His goodness. You realize that all His commandments are good. And all His ways are perfect. And that He listens and is near and as we'll see as we come to the end of this psalm, we. He says, "The young lions, even the strong lions, these great preys who can ravish and devour small creatures, they suffer want and hunger, but no one lacks. No one truly lacks. There is a contentment in those who fear the Lord." I love what Packer says in Knowing God. He says, "One day we will see." That nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our happiness, our eternal happiness, has been denied us. And nothing, literally nothing, that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. Because you see, all things will work together for good. Everything, that we is, everything is needful that God sends our way. Every trial that is in your life is needful for you to be truly happy in God truly to taste His goodness, to truly be made to be what God has for you. And everything that God says, no, I'm not going to give that to you, you don't need. It's not needful. You won't lack. We might feel like we lack. But to those that experience the fear of the Lord, they humbly Submit themselves in their brokenness to a good God and say, I'm poor, but you're strong. I'm weak, but you're mighty. I'm foolish, but you're wise. I have nothing. You have everything. I bring to you my sin. You bring to me your righteousness and you have latched yourself to me. How would I live for anything else? I could bring you to passage after passage in the Psalms and in the Proverbs and other passages of Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament. This isn't an Old Testament truth alone. The fear of the Lord is a great delight. It is life. It is where we find instruction. It is where the friendship of the Lord is found. It's found abundant goodness is found in it. The eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him. His steadfast love is towards those who fear him, Psalm 103. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. Psalm 145. His delight is not in the strength of a horse, nor in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Psalm 147. The secret of the good life is getting your fears right. I, we're going to have a, a fear an anger conference, overcoming fear, sinful fear in, well, the first week at this, the weekend after Easter, middle of April, because there is something so important about us coming to grips with our fears and realize and reordering our fears to say, I was meant to fear. I'm just fearing the wrong things. I am meant to fear, and I'm meant to fear in a different way, and that fear is in a context of a deep relationship with a God who loves me, and that David sings about in this psalm. The psalm develops and moves on, and we move to verse 11 through 14, and he just says, I want you to see the practice, the practice of the good life. He says, come, O children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The the good life is lived out in the fear of the Lord, and that fear of the Lord impacts our practice. It controls our lips, our conversations. It doesn't deceive people, but trusts in the Lord. It does not use our words for evil, whether that be gossip or bitterness or complaining or lying, but instead giving life and truth, the fear of the Lord, Brings a practice in our lives. The good life is practiced by peacemaking, making right when we sin against others, reconciling, forgiving, and giving, turning away from evil and do good. This passage is what 1 Peter quotes. Peter quotes in his first letter as he instructs the church live with the church and outsiders in such a way they see that you are peaceable people. This is the life. That God has called us to do. And if I could bring you to the last point, and that is the foundation of the good life. It's a a longer section, and though we'll spend very little time on it, look at verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ear toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, he saves the Christian spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Ponder with me the foundation, the source, the root, the fountainhead, where it all comes from of the good life. It is this. We can sit here today. We get in our cars as a family or individuals. We go here going, His eyes are toward me. His ears hear my cry. The the creator of the universe hears my cry. He's watching me. He hears me when I cry to Him for help. He delivers me out of trouble. And if He doesn't deliver me, or it takes longer than I thought, He cares still. He cares about broken-hearted me and afflicted you and struggling Sinner, but redeemed. Faith Church. He keeps us and redeems us. I I can only point you to Romans 8, 28, through the end of the chapter. Brothers and sisters, that passage, Romans 8, 28, through the end of the chapter, are verses that I just plead with you to never get over. To go to them and to learn them and to read them and to memorize them or meditate on them if you can't memorize and just read them over again and ponder them and think about what they mean. For we know that we, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Would you take any promise in exchange for that? I wouldn't. God works all things for my good I guess maybe if I were to take a promise, I would take 32 in exchange for that one because it's just as good, if not more foundational. God did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Jesus graciously give us all things? He gives us all things. The promises and the blessings that we have in this good life is that though we are not spared of troubles, we have a God who works in troubles. So much so that this psalm is prophetically speaking of Jesus when it says he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is forsaken. I think what David is saying here is he's trying to describe that. Believer, I've experienced this for myself. I plead with you. Young man and old man, young woman and old woman. I plead with you to experience this reality that many are the afflictions of even the righteous. I've experienced it. And when I say righteous is not sinful or righteous or self-righteous, but what I mean by that is I'm right before God because of God's grace, and I'm seeking to follow Him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. I I want you to know this personally and experientially. And he says this at the end. He says, he keeps all of his bones, the afflicted righteous one. He, not one of them is broken. I think he's saying, it's a poetical picture of saying, he tenderly cares for us. He doesn't mistreat us. He's not too rough with us, even though it feels like he's being really rough with us the cancer patient the christian cancer patient that is racked by his cancer and dying f- might feel like god is being rough with them but by faith he or she knows that god will keep all of her bones not one of them is broken and that doesn't mean that you don't as a christian have a broken bone i think it's a picture of saying he preserves us not one head of your ha- one hair of your head will perish because I keep you. And he ends this psalm by saying, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Can you think of a better life? Can you think of living for something other than this God and this relationship with this God, oh, I pray that I invite you to the good life. I invite you to this God who welcomes you, who has welcomed you by giving his son, Jesus. I welcome you to this God who says he's near to you, who put their trust in him. I welcome you to a God that is near to the brokenhearted. This good life, not free from trial, but but being transformed in trial. I invite the worship team to come up. We're going to sing this song. We're going to sing we've sung it many times, oh taste and see that the Lord is good. And I pray that God would make it so so An expression of response and of obedience and of a commitment to say, Oh God, please help me to taste this. Would you, as you sing this, sing this to the Lord and sing this to each other. Sing this as a praise to God and gratitude and sing this to each other to say, Suffering friend right now, poor and destitute and struggling. I know you're going through a lot, but oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's remind each other, let's worship, let's make this the cry of our hearts. Dear Father, please take Psalm 34 and the truths that are in the psalm and oh, bring it to our our lives for the rest of our lives, all of us, in Jesus' name, amen.